Welcome to Femboldened, a podcast where inspiration meets aligned action, where science meets spirit, and where you've landed to enliven the bold within you. I'm your host, Angelica Pascone, multidimensional healer and empowerment coach, specializing in helping heart-centered high achievers like you to shatter their personal and professional self-built glass ceilings. Get ready to awaken to your truest potential as we dive deep into the emboldened stories, wisdom, and medicine of our fellow impact-driven visionaries to energize you into living your bold. The only question is, are you ready? Let's get started. Fembolden. Hello, Femboldeners, and welcome to today's episode. I am really excited to finally be sitting down with, honestly, I think we are twins um, or I don't know, twin flames or whatever they're called. Um, we were just twins. So I'm, I'm here with my dear soul sister, Quinn. She's an intuitive life and business coach. We met so probably lifetimes ago, but it's so funny because we just sat down, had a little chat before I, I hit the record button. And it felt like we were in the same room and it, it, it just feels, feels great. Anyways, I'm rambling. Quinn, welcome. How are you? Even better yet, like what's in your consciousness? What's, what's alive for you today? Thank you. I'm great. Um, what is on my consciousness today? I'm realizing how we've been taught to live our lives is mind driven. And with my background in education, it's very, I'm kind of conditioned to approach things in a logical way, but then also there's this like really strong intuition coming through. Intuition has always been a strong part of my work and about my message, but over the last little while, the way I've been putting it to practice has shown me how I think sometimes I put a lot of focus on my mental limitations, like trying to be pragmatic, trying to be logical. And, and sometimes it actually gets in the way of my magic, like my unique magic. I actually end up holding it back, um, holding myself back because I'm like, well, this isn't logical or, um, or, you know, just so stuck in the intellect and so afraid of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing that I end up actually holding back a lot of my spiritual gifts and my potential as well. So I guess that that's something that's been, I've been noticing and that has been alive for me. Um, it's just noticing this balance between head and heart and really feeling called to lean more toward heart, like a lot more toward heart than I have been in the past. How do you notice that come up on a daily basis? Cause I think that's, that's common. Well, okay. So let me back up a little bit. I think it's common for those who are intuitive, but not know it yet. They, they, and this is something that you do with your clients have anxiety and depression and and, and sort of get frustrated with that fact when really, at least in my experience and, and from my, from what I can gather, my best guess, it, it's because there's a disregard of what you, you call the heart and following what we've been taught to follow, follow the mind, be logical, follow these steps. Would you agree with that? Or, and, and what did your, again, so, and what did your daily life look like uh, before or whenever you realize, oh, oh shit. Like, uh, I'm not, not following what feels good because I fall into those traps still. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sneaky. Like, cause I'm, I'm still trusting my intuition, even when I'm following my head. But what I'm noticing is that I will be almost like too skeptical. Like I'll have this skeptical voice come in that just dissects and analyzes everything. 
And sometimes this works to my advantage because when I dissect things, I realize, oh, I can actually make sense of a lot of what is happening spiritually, scientifically. So sometimes it benefits me. But then there are other times where my logical mind drops off. Like it takes me as far as I can. So a lot of it is around um, the way I express myself as a person, honestly, just like the elements of myself that I show. And I find that even with my career and everything I've done with intuition, I still in my day-to-day life sometimes feel the need to like not let my intuition carry me away, like keep it under control. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I get my hopes up or start to visualize something that would be possible for me, or even just when I'm feeling into my beliefs about the universe, like just my beliefs that everything is connected, that everything can work for the highest good, that when I set intentions that has power, a lot of the times that's when my skeptical mind would come in and be like, but how does your mind have power? Can you explain that scientifically? And of course I reach a point where I'm like, I can't anymore. And that's the part where I would tend to kind of feel like I had done something wrong by owning my spirituality, owning my intuition, almost like I would self-punish myself because I wasn't being empirical and was instead being intuitive. And I think that that's, I mean, in my schooling, we were taught to only be empirical and that any other way was not, not wrong, but it was just wrong in that context because of what we were studying and what we were doing. But now in everyday life, that empirical emphasis will sneak in. And I guess what it does is in my everyday life is it makes it harder for me to actually, no, I was going to say it makes it harder for me to believe in things, but that's not it. Cause I have no problem believing in it. It's more like I feel shame for believing in it. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're believing that things are connected and believing that there's a higher purpose behind everything we're experiencing. Right. Yep. No, I can, I can totally resonate with this. This is something that I'm, I'm experiencing currently. So I am looking at shifting careers. You know, I, I am very much gifted. I know that when I'm somebody's in my presence, miracles just happen. I can't, I mean, sometimes I I can facilitate those and I'm realizing I'm facilitating it. And sometimes they just, they just happen. Um, and having been an entrepreneur and having my own clients, watching that transformation happen in 30 minutes, yet it feels like that's not where the universe wants me to utilize these gifts. So I'm actually looking, long story short, and I haven't, I don't think I've shared this with you yet. No. I'm, I'm looking at, um, you, I'm looking at careers as directors or or chiefs of people and culture within corporations, within organizations that I believe in that are actually making positive change in the world. When that transformation, when an employee, I mean, you know this from, from, from your background, but when, when somebody is enjoying their, their job, they feel fulfilled, they feel supported, then that company is going to be not only more successful in revenue, but more successful in making their impact. Um, so that's, that's sort of what I'm looking at. And the whole point of this, this story is like, I, well, yeah, I can totally change a culture of a workplace. It doesn't matter how big the organization is and I can get it for this salary. I've been gung ho about it for six weeks. I'm applying to all these jobs, talking to recruiters. And I meet with a friend yesterday who, who has experience in corporate and he's like, Angelica, you know, you're going to have to take a big salary cut. It's not impossible, but you're probably not going to get that much. And I remember just thinking, I, I left feeling like all shooken up and I realized I'm like, like my heart's telling me something different. But then I caught myself thinking, 
Okay. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you're in dreamland, right? You're in la la land. You have your head in the clouds. You can't have it all. Universe doesn't work like that. It's not perfect. You know, manifesting is not, doesn't work like that, despite what the secret told you, well, you know, and then that got in my head. So I can, long story short, I can completely understand. Like astounded at how much your thought processes are so similar to what mine are too. Like when you were walking through it step-by-step, I'm like, yeah, that's exactly how it kicks in is Mm -hmm. it's this feeling of like, get out of dreamland, get out of la la land. But then equally as confusing is the fact that when I'm in dreamland and la la land is usually when start working well for me and when things come together. So I have this like genuine, I think that really like where the confusion comes in is I have this like genuine deep connection with manifestation. I've seen it work time and time again in my life to a point of innate trust. And then comes logic, making it seem like it's dangerous to trust in manifestation that much. So then comes the, yeah, it's time to, to be realistic. It's time to, I guess, limit what you expect to be possible, Mm -hmm. but more and more I'm, I'm finding that, um, those beliefs, those, those beliefs that, that are mind has the power to co-create our reality and that we can achieve things that are not logical that has proven itself to be true time and time again in my life every single time and so that's where my logic is like well wait a minute you have evidence (laughs) wait a minute now we're getting empirical like it might be just in my own life but it's still something to prove to my nervous system that like there's something real happening here something does work in this process Well, that's so interesting because that was, that was going to be my next question is like, how do you get out of that, that loop? But it just naturally happens because science and spirit are so inextricably linked. Right. But then I think too, uh, as you were talking and before you said, but then I realized I've got my own evidence. I was like, it's documented. It's called the placebo and nocebo effects. Like this is (laughs) like, it's actually a thing. (laughs) Oh my God. That's so true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's in science right there. Yep. Yep. Oh my goodness. Speaking of career shifts and all of that, we've kind of alluded to this, but our listeners may not know just yet that you have a very rich background as psychotherapy, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and that's, and, and we are unique in that we hold, we're both highly intuitive and we hold science and spirit in equal regard. We see them one and the same, but you didn't follow the trajectory, the typical trajectory of, of a therapist. Could you take us through your story? Um, and how, how you sort of diverted, why you diverted and at what point did you realize it, it wasn't a fit for you? Oh yeah. Yeah. This story is so huge. Um, so I started studying psychology actually because of my own personal experiences. When I was 18, I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder. And this was earth shattering for me because I knew absolutely nothing about the brain, nothing about mental health. I didn't even know what mental illness was like mental health awareness was not what it is today. 12 years ago, I literally was like, what is depression? What is wrong with me? What is going on? Like it was the most terrifying thing for me to experience because it was just like, I went sudden, I went suddenly numb. And as someone who's very sentient and very sensitive to her environment, always feeling to go numb. It was just red flags for my nervous system, but I didn't understand what was going on. And I was, you know, diagnosed and that helped. And I was given medication and that helped with some of the symptoms. But now I had this giant curiosity, like, why am, 
why me? And why would this illness manifest? Like to me, it wasn't enough that it was just brain chemicals. Like I still needed to know, to know what was going on because it felt like my brain and body were trying to tell me something. Like it just felt like there was a reason why my soul was retaliating inward. And it was trying to tell me that my life was not true to me. So I didn't know what, I mean, I was 18. I didn't know what that would look like, but I knew that I wanted to learn more about this illness. I wanted to learn more about the brain and the body so that I could draw my own conclusions too. And I also had a vision for helping other people down the road. Once I had, you know, learned and helped myself, I wanted to eventually help others. And I saw the potential for that in the future. And so that's what started my career path in that direction in the first place. And then I did my bachelor's degree with thesis um, in counseling psychology or in, in just psycho- just general like honors um, psychology. Then I did my master's in counseling psychology and I did all the classes for that. I was top of almost all of my classes. I loved learning about the brain, loved learning about sociology, loved learning about biological factors, um, neuroscience, trauma counseling, um, couples counseling, families counseling, like everything just lit me up, but I never could really commit to a theoretical orientation. So every time it came down to, okay, in your own practice, Quint, what approach do you want to take? What kind of counseling do you want to take? I just felt numb. It just always felt like I love learning about this, but I don't see myself in it. I'm not gathering much from it yet. I'm not seeing myself in it yet. There was just this disconnect. I felt like what I was supposed to do was more heart-centered and more intuitive, Mm -hmm. but there was really nothing available or normalized yet that I had discovered that allowed that kind of counseling to happen. So I still stayed committed to my path, my classes, because I figured no matter what I do, the things I'm learning in this program will be important no matter what. So just keep going. And so I got to the point where it was internship training. And um, this was a really exciting time for me because it would be my chance to work with actual clients. And um, I was thinking that through practice, I would have a better idea of what theoretical orientations would be right for me. And I bumped into some problems at this, at this point in the education process. And one of the problems was that I had to locate my own internship for this program. And in order to to do that, I had to reach out to everybody in, I had to look for the opportunity, which is usually pretty normal with with internships um, and pitch myself to them and and get an internship. And unfortunately, after reaching out to every private practice in the city and outpatient facilities in the city, I couldn't get an internship. So it took me about a year of searching before I finally did find one. And in that experience, that was really foundational for my coaching practice because the hours that I spent working under her helped me to practice counseling as an art and at least get that part fundamentally, you know, understood and practiced. But then this supervisor started to put me in a lot of ethical positions, like ethically questionable positions. And the school found out these were like big enough ethical violations that they were hard to hide. Mm. And, um, and I tried to, cause I, I knew I wouldn't be able to find another internship. Yeah. And, um, they, the school found out and I was told that I could no longer intern with that person and that the hours I had done would be wiped clean and I'd have to start oh, over. My goodness. So my friend was like, don't worry, you can just intern under the woman that I'm interning under. And I was like, okay, perfect. We have a plan. And then that woman lost her license for inappropriate relationships with clients. Mm. And 
once she lost her license, now she can no longer, like the school will not accept her obviously as a supervisor for an internship. So down to literally, like, I was just down to this moment where I was like, okay, what are you going to do? Are you going to just hang out in limbo forever? You know, you want to be a life coach, you know, you want to try this like alternative approach to helping people. Maybe this is your sign to go for it. Mm. And it was a really stressful time because, you know, I had invested a lot into this, into this education. I had put everything, like not just money, Mm -hmm. every bit of my psychological willpower, every bit of passion into these degrees, into everything I had done up until that day. And I took this all very, very seriously. And yet it didn't matter what I did. I couldn't move past this barrier. And I tried so many things. Like I fought tooth and nail to finish these hours, to have a proper um, internship. And it didn't matter what I did. It, It just, I couldn't get through. I, yeah, it was, it was very maddening. And I got to a point where I was just crying and I was exhausted. And I was like, where, where do I go from here? You know, is, is there another option for me? But at this point I knew that I had a dream to become a life coach and I knew that I was gifted intuitively. I just needed to explore those gifts a little bit more, but I knew that I had that in me. And so that's when I decided to start my coaching business. So I told the school, I would not be re-enrolling. I would not be finishing the hours. We're just going to be finishing what I have finished, which is literally everything, like almost everything except for a few hours. So I'm like, we're just done where we are and I'm moving on with my life. Where this was a scary decision is this wasn't, this kind of career pivot wasn't typical. This wasn't, we were very much living the status quo still. It was very pre-2020. It was 2017 to be exact. And to say I, after all of these years, eight years of studying psychology and preparing for this moment, I am not going to technically on paper, I'm not going to finish the degree in my mind. It's done because literally all the knowledge is here. You can't take it away from me. The practice that I did cannot be taken away from me. The ability to help people cannot be taken away from me. Get real with myself. I'm like, what do you have that is truly yours from this experience? You may not be able to walk away with a piece of paper that you can frame saying, this is what I have. And that part alone was heartbreaking for me because I wanted that. And I worked really hard for that. And the fact that I couldn't have it just because of obstacles that are outside of my control yeah. was just, it was heartbreaking. It was kind of like, for me, I, I identify with that moment. This is just my opinion as my, the moment I hit the glass ceiling, I, I worked hard. I worked hard. I got, got to a point where I was finally going to be in a high ranking professional position as a woman and in a position where I could help people with an issue that is basically, in my opinion, an epidemic, but mental illness is spreading like crazy. Um, yeah, I, I was finally getting to that point where I was going to be like, I'm making it like I'm in a position of power. And, and then this invisible barrier, very systemically fueled was just there. And I had no way of getting around it. And so as much as this was sad and like disheartening and all those things, it also forced me to pivot inward and look at what my path is separate from systems, separate from the patriarchy, separate from a guidance system outside of myself, outside of my intelligence. So I started to look inward at my inner intelligence and the things that I can know without looking outward. And when I reflected inward, I realized that I've always known my path. 
I've always known my sense of purpose. It's never been a distinct thing. It's never been like, this is the, it, you know, at one point it was journalism before it was psychology. So it was never really just, it didn't matter what it was. There was just a North in my inner compass that was there that I could just always feel. And so when I went inward, I was like, well, that North feeling is still there. There's still a path. So this must be a pivot, not an end. This is a chance to actually move toward what is for me. And I started to realize, you know, I've been feeling a disconnect with psychotherapy for a while now, not because it's bad, not because it's inadequate, not because it's wrong, not anything logical, just a feeling of this isn't me. This isn't how I help people. Mm-hmm. Even if I logically wanted to help people that way, my heart knew something else. My heart was literally just like, no, you have a different way you're going to help people. And that was scary back then. I mean, now I know how some of this has panned out and there's some tangible things to like look at and be like, okay, yeah, we picked the right path. Mm-hmm. But back then it was literally like, have you lost your mind? Like, it looks like I was just being reckless and self-sabotaging my future. And I had friends and family who thought that that was what I was doing, but I knew that the feeling inside of me, that true North feeling, I don't know how to explain it other than it feels like a gravitational pull. It was there. So I just figured, you know what? We've trusted it this far. It has never led us astray. Keep trusting it. And that feeling was really leading me toward life coaching. And so that's when I hired my first business mentor and started to build my business instead. I just love that story so much. I, I guess I knew parts of it, but I didn't know know all of the, the aspects. Um, my goodness. Yeah. I think you agree too. When the universe has another plan for you, if you're not listening or you don't know how to listen, you get pushed out and it can seem so catastrophic, but looking back, it's usually the next stepping stone into a new direction. We just, we're told that it's catastrophic and we've learned and been, I should say we're conditioned into thinking those moments are catastrophic. That's so true. We've literally been raised to believe that everything's going to follow a plan, make a plan, follow it and success. And it's that simple. And I made a plan, followed it and didn't, didn't have the kind of success that I was aiming for. And so, yeah, it ended up really challenging that paradigm. And I had to fight with that conditioning a lot through that transition between therapy and coaching. And that was probably one of the biggest challenges of, of starting my business was the voice in my head that was that kept saying, you're making a mistake. You're making a mistake. Go back to school. You're making a mistake. But honestly, even at this point, I don't, I don't believe I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. I, I really feel that that happened the way it happened for a reason. Like sometimes people feel so bad for me when they hear this story. And I'm like, no, don't, because this is my path. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm like 99 to hundred percent sure that I was supposed to go through that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting listening to your story how I can, I, I mean, obviously I resonate, uh, resonate with it on so many levels and our stories are very similar yet different. And I'm thinking, well, geez, I keep pivoting. <laughs> like here's, a, here's another, like, here, okay. And I understand the, 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 I think you said it something along the lines of, you know, this, this isn't where I'm supposed to be, or, um, you know, it, it feels like almost whenever I'm, I'm being encouraged to pivot, into a new path there there's like this uh frustration that, that just keeps piling up and you're and there's this well hold on i'm doing everything right why why is a plus b equaling e 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, why, why? And then it takes, oh, for me, I haven't recognized that just yet until I hit that burnout. And then I'm like, something's got to change. What, what here, what, what, what needs to change? Um, you know, but it, it's interesting looking back on our stories. I was able to finish as a PA and practice as a PA. The, the difference though, which is also the similarity is that we we're taught a recipe an algorithm of how to approach a patient, right? Be nice, have a bedside manner, explain things. This is so interesting. Like I'm getting like inner tinnitus right now, Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but there's no, we didn't have any theories to practice. Like, like therapists do like what approach do you use? It's all the same fucking approach, unless you're just an asshole, right? That's, that's how it is. And unfortunately there's a lot of those providers out there. My point though, is that there was very little room within an exam room to, to adequately hold space for that patient to promote healing. You have 15 minutes to see the patient, do the exam, diagnose them, treat them. 15 on average, you have 15 minutes as a provider to do that with a patient. Oh my goodness. So you can't know them. So what I ended up doing was I, I took extra time. I skipped lunches. I prepared my notes two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening. I gave up my quality of life to give quality. So, so I guess the point of the story is (laughs) because I was, I was, I was also put in a, in a box, but afterwards my capacity to heal was, was confined to the point where it was either my my life, I don't want to say livelihood, but my, my health or my patient's health. Yeah. So very similar yeah. patterning, but just in different time frames, Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's right now I could go on a whole tangent on this, but that's the problem with healthcare, at least in the U S right now mm-hmm. is that, and you know what, a lot of people don't know this, but providers in the U S get paid based on how many patients they see in my old workplace. They give you, when you're a new provider, when you sign on with them, they give you like a two year, what's that called? Uh, it's like, nothing's your fault kind of thing. Like grace, grace period. period. Yeah. Like yeah. grace period. Yep. Yeah. But after that two year point, if you're not producing a certain, at a certain level, they start taking away your salary. What? Yeah. So there was one provider within my system, quality provider, giving what she needed to give to her patients. And she owed the company, I think, $20,000 at the end of the year because she wasn't seeing enough. So and, and I didn't go into medicine. Now I'm going, now I'm getting all passionate here. I didn't go into medicine to, <laughs> to um, be a salesman. Like they don't tell oh. you that in school. They're not like, you're going to have to, p- they're called RVUs. And and I don't know if, if Canada has something similar, but RVUs, like if you're not making these revenue units, like, then you owe us, like, here's your baseline salary, but we're going to start deducting as many units as you're missing. The, the quantitative um, number, money dollar that one revenue or one RVU is. And if you didn't meet this RVU, your benchmark, that's how much you owe us. I feel like that designs a system where people, there's no incentive to heal them. You wouldn't want your clients to get better because you're going to lose money. Yeah. Like you're, not even just gonna keep money. you're going to lose money. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And actually the RVUs were based on how many conditions that person was. So why would I keep somebody well, 
when I could see somebody who has this many chronic conditions? And also, how are you going to address that many chronic conditions in a 15 minute visit? Well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, even in the therapy world, I saw a lot of similar things, not quite to that extreme with 15 minutes. Like I just don't understand how all of those things are supposed to be done quality, like with quality in 15 minutes. But I, I know even with therapy, like a lot of insurance companies would only cover like three to four sessions. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. So let me help someone to recover from anxiety, depression, whatever, like help them with their mental health in four sessions. Mm -hmm. Like that's not going to be enough to actually help someone get on their feet again. Mm -hmm. You know, it'll help them to get through a tough time. It'll offer some kind of support, but you know, it's going to take more than four sessions to help someone to transform and like actually change their lives, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to the brain and how stubborn it is with reconditioning. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of repeat, 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 repeat over like a lot of time. So yeah, even the way the system is built here in, in the mental health side of it too, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't seem like the incentive is wellness. It seems like the incentive is something else. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, of course, because if, if, if we're really interested in preventative care, be it medical, be it mental, I mean, I, they're one in the same mind body. True. As we talked about at the beginning, but um, (laughs) if, if the, the goal is prevention, then why aren't you paying for preventative services? (laughs) I, I did this once or twice. I called insurance companies and I, I, I think they, I needed them to pay for something. I think it was a medication and mm-hmm. they, they denied it. And I, I think it was for a congestive heart failure or something like that. And I said, you would rather pay a $50,000 hospital bill than 50 bucks a month to prevent that hospital bill. Cause I'm telling you, and I said, if you don't pay for this, then I'm, I'm glad this is recorded. I'm not just this podcast, but this is what I was saying to the insurance. Yeah. I'm glad this is recorded because you are taking ownership of this person's health. If they tank that is on you. Oh, <laughs> and yes. I, hung up. Like, so I, I used to write letters. Like this is when it back, you know, obviously, pre-Ezra, but I, I was fiery <laughs> because I, I, I came into medicine for a reason. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't live out that reason. And I think that's why I'm sure that's why the, the good providers out there, the ones who want to make the difference cannot make a difference and they yes. will not be able to make a difference until healthcare is not a business anymore. I mean, I yeah. even had the same discussion, uh, my insurance didn't pay for Ezra's birth. They paid nothing. Oh, nothing. I had a home birth and that's not covered. My home birth costs $5,000. Had, had I gone to the hospital, it would have cost insurance $20,000. So I was like, listen, suckers, I saved you a shit ton of money. Do you not realize this? Uh, Anyways. And also if you go back into like the preventative care of that, like uh, that, that $5,000 was the cost of my entire pregnancy and birth. Wow. That's actually not bad. Everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a beautiful Um, price for that. And I was getting that preventative care. Because I was with my midwife for an hour at yeah. least each visit. Oh. And that set me up for so a nice. very healthy birth and a very healthy baby and a very healthy me. Anyways, I guess this is, this is beautiful what we're though. About this today. is, I, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like realizing some emerging themes from this conversation. One theme that I noticed is a lot of my friends 
and like I'm including you in this, <laughs> all of my friends and connections and the people I love, a lot of them are women in these powerful careers. Like my best friend is a lawyer. Um, you have, you're a physician's assistant or you worked as a physician's assistant and you have your license as a yep. physician's assistant, right? And then yep, I'm continuing with, that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then me with the higher education and the training in psychotherapy. And so it's not uncommon for me and a lot of my friends to have these positions that are, or at least skill sets that are really powerful and still not be able to make the difference we wanted to make. So even like in the realm of law, for example, similar things too. We study hard in school. We want to make a difference in the world. We get ourselves to this position where we're like, this is where I can make a difference in the world. And then you realize when you get there that the way it's set up is designed so that you won't be able to make a difference if you follow it to a T, if you stay in the system and follow it to a T. And that's why I think I was meant to be pivoted when I was as much as it was hard on my pride and it was hard on my feelings and it was scary. I think it was meant to happen because my only desire for as long as I can remember has been to change the world. I don't care how I've never really cared about how it was just psychology made sense to me because mental health is something I don't just understand scientifically. I also understand it as someone with a severe case of like a severe recurring treatment resistant depression. So like I, I can understand it from the inside looking out and the outside looking in. Mm -hmm. So I figured that would be the best place to change the world. But I think if I had stayed in the system and like followed everything to a cookie cutter tea and had my own practice and had my license, it still would be fine. It still would be a way to help people. It would definitely make a difference. But there are a lot of, I guess it's like how you, you word it really well. It felt like my healing was being put into a box. Mm -hmm. I was only allowed to say certain things and do certain things. And actually one of the feedbacks I got during my training hours was that I'm too friendly and too connective with my clients Mm. as a humanist. That's hard to hear. Mm. You know, it's hard to hear. We don't want you connecting with people like this. We don't want you being friendly with people like this. Like you need to be, they wanted me to be like removed and and stoic. And I guess just the traditional psychotherapist role, Mm -hmm. but that traditional role was, wasn't working. And it was also written before I was even born by men, you know, like (laughs) it's, I didn't have any say in that role being what it is. Yeah. And now I do, but I have to trailblaze. I have, and that's, and that's where I would actually rather go into the unknown and build my own thing than be restricted by a system that doesn't look after my best interests and is designed to ensure that I'm always the hamster on the wheel, running, working, but not making any progress. And that has been a theme my entire adult life as a woman has been working harder than anybody I know, man, woman, or everything else, like just working harder than any human I know and getting nothing maybe breadcrumbs in return. It wasn't until I decided to just go into the unknown and start my own business and just do my own thing that I started to get more than breadcrumbs very first time. So sometimes I wonder if the reason why so many of us are feeling called to stray from the traditional career paths and start our own thing is because there's a genuine need for it. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I've got like three different paths in my head right now. One, I just want to say that I was able, and I think I shared this with you before, but I was able to, um, be a counselor to try it out. It was the craziest opportunity because I had a PA certification. I somehow meandered into an employee assistance program. Um, so I did, I wasn't able to, to have continuity of care because they were shorter sessions, session lengths. Um, but it was, it was amazing. Once I was in there, 
I was getting referrals of patients who weren't progressing with other counselors because I was able to be out. I could, I could heal outside of that box because I didn't have the therapist license. I had a license, which is how I was able to get in there, but I didn't have a therapist license. And what I was doing was working. Yep. And you probably would have been corrected if you were being trained in psychotherapy, whatever you were doing would have been corrected and told that it's wrong. And furthermore, like, and this was during the pandemic and I keep making a box for the people who can't see. (laughs) So Corinne's like, what is she doing with her? Um, and, and, and furthermore, what was really awesome, just made another box. What was really awesome was that, I mean, awesome, but also quite sad (laughs) is, is that the counselors that I was working with came to me outside of work to have their own sessions. Cause I, I, it was during the pandemic therapists were just bombarded at that time because nobody knew everybody was experiencing the same thing at the same time without being able to guide one another. And, um, anyway, so I'm on a tangent there, but, Oh no, this is powerful, but clearly Uh, what, you know, the the traditional routes, medicine, uh, therapy, they're, they're not working for, I should say they're not working for everyone. I think they, there's a purpose for both. There's a purpose and the place for both. They're powerful. Yeah. But when things aren't working and you're looking to make a change, just like you said, Quinn, you need to be innovated, innovative. You need to see something different. And I think that's where we're headed. I think the pandemic shook it up. I, I, I remember in 2019, I was telling Kristen, like something big is going to happen in 2020. Well, like I, said, I felt I'm it like, for a year before. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I was like, something big is, things are going to be changing. And I remember him think, saying to me, like at the beginning of the pandemic, he's like, I thought you said things were going to like something big was happening and things were going to get better. I'm like, yeah, but you need to have a giant, I call it a giant demo day. You need to have a giant demo day. And and that foundation was cracked. So we're building another one right now and everything needs to crumble down. And I think everybody is such a beautiful segue. I think every, I shouldn't say everybody, but most people are feeling that effect of, okay, I lost my job Yeah. or um, my job's in, threatened, or I had to leave my job in order to take care of the kids while they were doing school from home. Actually, now that I take a step back, I hated what I was doing, or I could do better somewhere else, or I wasn't fulfilled, or I wasn't at my potential. I wasn't valued. Where can I go? And this is, I think this is like a pivot for the world. It, it's in the news right now, at least in the US, I think they're calling it the giant, the, the great, the great resignation. resignation. Yeah. Yes, they are. I got so excited because I've been saying for a while that we're going to have an employment based revolution, but I've been saying it for a few years now, but I've been feeling it. I'm like, we're going to have it. They're going to call it the great quitting or something. (laughs) I was so close. I almost nailed the title. Oh my goodness. Like, I conceived that premonition when it happened. Oh my god. So goodness. I was like, I was like, it's gonna be called like the great quitting. And he's like, you know what? I could see that happening. And then now it's happening. And I'm like, they're calling it the great resignation. Do you <laughs> see this? It's so great. I know. Wouldn't it be great if you could like predict the lottery numbers and stuff? Why can I predict illness and world events and not yeah. money? Yeah. Or tra- <laughs> right. Or or like tragedies. Yeah. Let's, yeah, tragedies. Let's, like things like don't know when something know good is going to happen. No. Um yeah. <laughs> I'm with you there. Yeah. Yeah. So um okay. So so this is this is great. I'm loving this conversation. Me too. When you pivoted, you you mentioned that you hired a business coach. I've hired one too. I've actually hired three at this yep. point. And this is something we've talked about outside of this recording and something that we're both really passionate about is within the coaching industry, there is 
unfortunately, this lack of integrity, because it's vastly unregulated, which it has its highlights, yep. right? Yep. Because then, then people who aren't certified, but have a unique, just like we talked about, aren't, don't have to fit in a box. Yes. But at the same time, there's no regulations when it comes to ethics. Yes. Do you, would you be able to take us through your, your journey through Mm -hmm. the coaching world as a client and how, how that, those experiences, um, one of which we share those experiences, um, have impacted how you, I guess, the Mm -hmm. foundations of your business. Oh my God. Yeah. Sorry. I'm excited because this is a huge part of my story. And it's literally like if, if what we talked about before was chapter one, this is chapter two. Mm-hmm. And the crazy thing about chapter two is that it is literally a mirror polar opposite reflection of chapter one. So in chapter one, <laughs> I felt like the ethical regulations and the, just the rules were too much for me to be able to function. Then I go into the coaching world and I was not prepared for how unregulated it was. It was like an immediate shock to my system. I was like, wait a minute, what? Like people are not even honoring confidentiality. They're literally like boasting about their client's success and putting pictures and names on there. I'm sure like, I don't have a problem with that when there's permission, but there wasn't always permission in the beginning. I've seen more and more consent based yeah. testimonials. Now, when I first went into the industry, it was not uncommon for, for coaches to just go wild and start using their clients as pictures, like just using them as ways to promote their offerings without really talking to the client or doing it in a respectful way. So yeah, it was a shock immediately. So it was like the polar opposite extreme where now the lack of regulation was working against me because now this master's degree, bachelor's degree, training and counseling that I thought would give me a significant leg up over other coaches in the industry really didn't. It really didn't matter. Um, I did have some clients say to me that like, you know, it, it, I'm so glad you have the extra training or that you have the degree, but for the most part, it really didn't mean anything. And especially it's, it's really, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's really about how great of a marketer you are. It is. Yeah, it really is. Mm-hmm. And, um, what was really cool about that is it forced me to teach myself marketing. I yeah. didn't know anything oh, about marketing I'm a big and fan of it, but yes, now I, I love marketing. I actually, I'd say at this point, I'm good at it, but yeah, you are. in my own way, like I don't follow, I, if, if good at it means whatever the stereotype means, then I'm not, but I have my own method. I have my own way. And now that it's fully integrated and understood, I now love marketing. I hated it for the first three years of my four-year business though. So mm-hmm. if this is a new advancement, <laughs> I yeah. hated marketing for the first three years, but it did get me out of my comfort zone and I learned new skills and it, it also got me to connect with new people mm-hmm. that I would have never otherwise, I'm, I'm very introverted. I wouldn't put myself out there otherwise. So it was really nice how it got me to meet all these people from around the world with shared visions. So that's the positive, but yeah. So my first experience with my business mentor as me being the client. So my business mentor, I hired her because she was a very big name in the industry at the time. This is back in 2017 there were these like four really big business coaches and there weren't really a whole lot of other business coaches. It seemed, it seemed like these four had like a monopoly. And then I think what has happened with time is just as more and more came, the market changed. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have as many, I didn't feel anyway that I had as many options to choose from as I would today, but there was this one coach of the big names that I'm thinking of 
And she was the only one of the four who worked with intuitive gifts and healing based Mm. stuff. And at this point, I just knew I was highly intuitive, but I had never used my gifts to heal or like used them to facilitate a session. Mm -hmm. Um, so I knew I wanted to go, I wanted to go into that in more depth. I'm like, I need to explore this. There's something important about my purpose and this ability that go hand in hand need to learn about it. So that's why I chose her. I was just going to do a group program. And then she upsold me to her $20,000 one-on-one, mm-hmm. which I agreed to do because, um, I wanted to set myself up for as much success as possible. I didn't mind putting a lot of money forward, putting my best foot forward, because I knew that this is my first year in business. I have plenty of time to make that investment back. This is like, it was a long-term game. I went into it with a long-term vision, not a Mm short-term vision. It wasn't like, okay, hurry up and make me rich. It was like, okay, this will be important to the grand scheme of how I build this business and this whole journey. So I went in with a healthy mindset, with a healthy mindset. And it was good in some ways. She definitely helped me with my intuitive gifts that sparked a spiritual awakening through all of this, which was really uncomfortable. And then that's where things got difficult. She couldn't really hold space for my awakening. So it was a lot of, I don't understand why you're resistant to putting yourself out there. Just sell. I don't understand you go sell. So it was a lot of just, I don't understand you just do what I'm telling you to do. Mm -hmm. So she was basically like a commander more than a coach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the coaching was basically long story short. It was just go sell. Selling is a decision. Just go do it. Sell. And I expected with the $20,000 investment for there to be a lot more to her teachings than just decide and do like, where's the coaching and all of that. So I remember just having this moment of, of, oh no, I've made a mistake and a very expensive mistake. And I just like cried and just like, so this is like a few months after <laughs> the master's degree fell apart and I had to cry then three months later, I'm like 20,000 in the hole. And this business coach is just not interested in me. She doesn't like me. Like I could tell she didn't like me. Um, just kind of bullying me. Even it kind of reminded me of back in the day when I used to be bullied in like high school and grade school, like she treated me like that kind of alpha female catty female thing that I have a pattern for in my life. Um, or have had a pattern in my life. I I wouldn't say it plays in as much anymore, but it was tough. So I got to this point where I was like, and this is why it's such a pivotal part of my story. So I had to like three months later, do another massive pivot. I'm just realizing Mm. But I got to this point where I was like, I cannot rely on her methods. I cannot rely on her path or her story. We are not as aligned with each other as I thought we were. So I forgave myself. I had to kind of forgive myself for choosing the wrong coach. Cause that's not, in, that's not on her. She was pretty transparent about her values. There were red flags long before I made the decision. This was a choice I made and now I needed to deal with the consequences. Mm-hmm. So I was out with them. Um, and part of dealing with them was realizing, well, wait a minute, you hired her as help, but how would you have done your business if you didn't have $20,000 to hire help? How would you have just done it on your own? I mean, people run businesses on their own all the time. It can be done. And it's not like there's one way to do it. So it can be done. So I thought about it and I was like, well, those intuitive gifts that me and this coach have been working on, they really make it easy for me to sense trends. It's making it really easy for me to feel my audience. I think I could probably just do this off of intuition. So I decided to experiment with it. And um, that third month in my business was... October of 2017. And I decided to try my own method out. 
it was just this method that it was just this feeling of like, what if we tried this? So I was like, okay, fine, let's just try this. So what I tried was let's set a really clear intention. How many clients we want? I knew I was selling a one-on-one. I was like, okay, let's be clear about how many now we have space for and what we want to bring in. Set the clear intention. I went a little bit extreme with it and like even started like telling people I was like, not people online, but just people in person who would never, you know, where it wouldn't be unethical to say that I'm making money that I'm not making, but Mm -hmm. just to practice the the affirming of it and to feel the feelings in my nervous system of, oh my gosh, congratulations, Quinn. So it was kind of weird. Yeah. I I was gonna say, this sounds kind of weird because people were literally congratulating me and I had not technically accomplished what they were congratulating me for, but my nervous system didn't know the difference. It felt really real. And so I embodied that feeling. I kept that feeling alive within a week. I signed my first client for the amount that I said I had signed my first client for. So I had self-fulfilled that prophecy. Then I tried the same method on the next month, which was November of 2017. And this time I wanted to, I wanted to try for three clients and at a higher price point. And I even set a date in a time <laughs> or sorry, a, a day and a date. Mm-hmm. So that's just a date. <laughs> um, I set a date <laughs> for when I wanted it to happen by, but I didn't get too attached to the timeline. It was just to, it was just for a sense of clarity. And it literally on that day that I said I would, it happened. And I fulfilled that prophecy too. I tried to do it again the next week. I did it again. Then I helped those clients to try it in their lives. And when they applied it, when they really applied it and they believed in it, they did it too. So I was like, okay, we have something here. I mean, it's not a foolproof method. Mm -hmm. It has to be applied and it has to be done properly. But this foolproof method, why I loved it is it was teaching people to rely on something that they already innately carry within them unto themselves, you know, like that, the divine feminine idea of sovereignty. Mm-hmm. I feel like it really, I see even today, the potential for the way my business coaching works to help more women to rely on themselves rather than systems outside of themselves, which is how we've been conditioned for literally thousands of years now. Mm-hmm. So it's like imprinted in the genome at this point. Like yeah. it is deep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that mm-hmm. taking back of control, which is, you know, n- right now you're working primarily with those who identify as having anxiety or mental illness and depression, all of that. And isn't that the, the prerequisite of healing or, or that's what those with anxiety at least are seeking is that, that element of control. And to realize that actually you've had control all along. Let me show you how. Oh my God. You just gave me chills and tears like immediately. (laughs) That was such a good reflection. Oh my God. It was just something about the way you reflected it. I'm like, that's exactly what I'm getting at. That's exactly what I'm going for with all of this. This is amazing. Cause I knew that the mental health and the, so it's so funny. My journey was like mental health counseling and then the business coaching years. And now my offers are mental health coaching and very unique type of business coaching. Like I definitely do not business coach in any way, like any other business coach I've ever hired or ever worked with. For me, it's not about what you do on the internet or the steps you take because I'm very macro. Um, I have a Pisces moon. I I, I see the big picture Mm -hmm. by default. It's harder for me to see details and the small picture. So I usually see the forest. And I think that what happens with that gift is it allows me to help people who can't see the forest for the trees. Mm -hmm. So what I have found with, you know, a lifetime of being in this way, this is just like the way I'm made, is that 
a lot of the times we get stuck on details and semantics and they don't matter. There are so many different ways for the outcome that you want to happen. And when the intention is clear enough, it really does find a way to happen. You just have to actually employ that sovereignty. I do encounter a lot of skeptics when it comes to the manifestation intuition side of what I have done with my work and how I live my life. But I think at the end of the day, I mean, there's only so many ways you can be skeptical about something that works that well. And why wouldn't we have some sort of power over what unfolds in our lives? Like to me, it's actually a weirder concept that we just exist in bodies. And all we, the only power we have is with our arms and limbs and the things we can do and produce. Like to me, that makes actually less sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we've been conditioned to distrust I think, no, I know we have been conditioned to distrust the feminine, (laughs) to distrust our nature, to distrust intuition. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we've, we've touched upon this and I think this is where we're going to is, is there's, there's so much good about the spiritual community, but there's also honestly, as, as much good as there is, there's as much toxicity. And so, you know, at least for me, I I remember during my awakening and discovering manifesting and watching it happen and having that feeling, I like to call it the the God realm or the realm of possibility that, that, um, Mm -hmm. that feeling of nostalgia, um, and then having my experiences with coaches, with mentors that use that to their advantage, uh, brainwashing, gaslighting that sort of thing, put a taint on believing in manifesting, put a taint on believing that I was in control because I was vulnerable and somebody else took control. Oh my God. I'm so glad you brought this up because I went through this for a really long time after this similar experience that we shared, um, where I felt like I couldn't trust my own manifestations and that I couldn't trust my synchronicities. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how sometimes, you know, how this conversation started with my skeptical brain, sometimes being like, whoa, 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 don't get carried away. Cause in the beginning I was just like full bore, like intuition manifestation. There was literally like no self-doubt, maybe not no, but yeah, it was something a lot more trust in that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot more trust actually. Yeah. For about a year after my experience with my second toxic mentor, (laughs) um, yeah, I spent that year really battling between my head and heart because my head was now starting to feel like it might've been the safer option because Mm -hmm. my spirit had been, or my spiritual side, my heart side, my believing in something that goes beyond what we understand side was yeah used to my disadvantage and not just any disadvantage. It wasn't just the psychological manipulation, but also the financial you know, there were financial consequences to all of these decisions with all the toxic mentors really. But with that one in particular, there was this feeling of shame because it's like, I poured all of this money into this experience. And then I'm coming out of it now with more self-doubt than I had when I got there. And so that in and of itself would create some shame because then there's the financial wound of like, what kind of stress did I just create for my family? What have I, like, it was more about other people for me because I knew that this consequence would impact my husband. It would impact my mom and my dad just because they care so much and they're just really 
into what's going on in my life. So I knew that it would impact them too. Um, and that was tough. And so for like a good year, I was very stubbornly set against manifestation. I, th- I remember even going through a phase where I was like trying to make my coaching more masculine and more logical. And it was just not good. It was just not connecting with me or my audience. It was just this, like, I think it was honestly just me trying to make sense out of the war between my head and heart. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that toxicity in the spiritual community is really tough. Um, and that's like a chapter three. Oh my goodness. What a journey. (laughs) Cause I feel like there was like the toxicity with the business mentor and starting the business. Yeah, Yeah. And then comes the toxic feminine version, like now, like a more covert sort of narcissism slash manipulation, you know, like a little more covert expression of the same demon. Um, yeah. So that was interesting too. So it's like, I had the academic realm and then being like, this is too, this is too rigid. I can't do my soul's work in this space. So I need to try something alternative going into the alternative and then learning, Oh, this is the wild West. Where do I fit into this wildness? Started to find that I have a spiritual niche where I could fit in. Then in comes spiritual mentor. Mm-hmm. And again, it's the same. It was honestly, my experience with the spiritual mentor was basically the same experience as the one I had with my business mentor, just masculine and feminine expressions of each mm-hmm. different expressions. So by the end of this intense, like, it's just such an intense series of years, like of just trying to all of this, just to build a career. That's all I want. <laughs> I just want to build a career. <laughs> I just want to, I just want to do my gifts and get paid for it. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Like that's so difficult. I don't want to say difficult because that makes it sound like it's impossible. Yeah. Why is that a fucking challenge? That's what I'm getting at is like, why did I have to go through these hoops? Cause I know I'm not the only one who did. No, you, literally you and I share some of these experiences yes. in common. I know so many others who do and yeah, it shouldn't be this hard to just offer what you are naturally good at to helping your fellow human for yeah for money because part of being logical right yeah okay yeah yeah is is life all about money no, no. do you need no. it to eat uh-huh yeah <laughs> yeah that's exactly what i'm getting at like i feel like with money it's just like a symbolic representation of reciprocity so yeah to me it just keeps everything balanced so i i actually love i love that about money i forget where i was going with that but no, it's so funny that you mentioned, you know, you had said your your business coach told you, I don't understand you, just sell. Yeah. That's what my business slash spiritual coach that we shared also said to me. Also said to all of us that were in that program. I remember one of us saying, can you teach us strategy? Like here we are two months in, we all quit our jobs because that was part of the program. And talk about like not healthy. We didn't really have a savings to go off of. We just were encouraged to quit our jobs. Um, and then yeah. we celebrated on, on this coach's Instagram with thousands of followers. And here we're thinking, oh, you know what? Actually, now I'm being seen as offering. Anyways, I'm digressing. Yeah. Um, and I remember one of us said, can you teach us strategy? Like here we are doing five hours of energetic work every single day. Can you teach us some strategy? And I remember her texting back saying, um, I don't know what you mean. Can you, can you be more specific? And we're like, we don't fucking know. We've never been in business before. It's just something businessy. <laughs> well, and I, I know what program you're talking about. Cause I almost signed up for it too. And I read that sales page through really thoroughly. 
I remember very clearly, she said she was going to cover strategy Mm -hmm. and and there were, there were modules in that program that were specifically designated for strategy. Cause I remember checking that. Cause I was like, I don't want just another spiritual breathwork experience. I want, like, I love that stuff too, but I want strategy too, because I know that that's going to be a necessary part of this journey. And, um, so I know that that was there in the sales page. That was the interesting thing I found with the coaching industry too, is the lack of transparency. And, um, yeah, yeah. It's a big one. Yeah. Like there was so much incongruency between sales page and actual experience of, mm-hmm. of the coaching. Yeah. Um, I, I actually um, sat down with a recent mentor and, uh, during my one-on-one I, 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 and I said, listen, um, I know what you're doing in the back end, and I don't agree with it. And I would suggest that you start marketing what's in your contract. So things don't come up as a surprise. Yeah. 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 I think transparency in this, in this path is really important. And I know that it's tough because our industry is why I find it tough is when I'm looking at our industry's patterns and norms, there's this glamour that Mm -hmm. gets toted around and tends to be what people invest in. And so you feel like you have to bring the glamour, you have to bring the glitz, you got to bring the big promises, but I'm really finding in my own experience that the more transparent and honest you are, the more you set up your clients for success. And the more you set them up for success, the more you set yourself up for success Mm -hmm. and the more you're having the impact that you want to have. But it is interesting being an impact driven woman Mm -hmm. in an industry that I honestly expect it to be more impact driven. And sometimes it is. And I've, and I've met a lot of impact driven women within it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it was, it was a bit of a shock to the system discovering the, the type of leadership that was succeeding in our space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I am yeah. noticing having this conversation, what a similarity it, it is to, um, I don't know if I can even phrase this, but I'm noticing having you shared earlier that you were um, uh, dismissed for being too friendly, for being too transparent. And here we are where transparency isn't happening and coaching, right? And, And that's, that's where... The lack of regulation, two sides of the coin, lack of reg- too much regulation, lack of regulation, and yeah. still the same problem is this lack of transparency. That's what I was going to say is I don't even know if the regulation makes a difference because in a regulated industry, I saw potentially even in my opinion, yeah. worse corruption than yep. what I've seen yep. in the coaching industry. Because okay. the reason I say worse is the things I saw in the therapy world. I'm actually afraid to even share it with people because it's that bad. Like, I'm like, I don't want people to think that there's no mental health help out out there for them. Cause what I saw was out of this world, bad, like therapists talking about their clients, like their objects, referring to their illness as their identity and literally referring to them. Like they were the scum of the earth. It's the same in medicine. We providers would say, Oh, here comes my, my uh, train wreck of the day. Yeah. Yeah. It was like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was my supervisor used a term for hepatitis patient. Yeah. Yeah. But it was even slang. So it made it even worse. Like it was just literally like reducing that person down to the reason they are seeing you. And these were vulnerable people, like really vulnerable people with severe mental illness. Um, Some of them like with dissociative identity disorder, like just really intense illnesses. And that's where the corruption was happening. And so that's why I say worse, because these are people who cannot advocate for themselves, who cannot defend themselves in the same way they could in their highest potential. 
And they're in this position for help. And this is where they're being taken advantage of is where they go for help. That was another red flag for me is this can't be where I'm supposed to be. Because if this is what good care looks like in this system, then I just don't see myself in it. It's too personal for me. And I think that that's the benefit of my path starting with the illness itself, because I kept putting myself in the client's shoes. I was like, well, would this help me with my depression? And a lot of the things they were teaching me to do in counseling, I I couldn't see how it would help me. Mm -hmm. And I have depression. Mm -hmm. So that incongruency too was another red flag. I was like, there's got to be another way to help people because this wouldn't help me. And then I'm delivering it and I know it. I don't even believe in it. And I'm hoping it just somehow works for the other person. So actually this brings me to a point that I almost forgot to bring up, but I looked up the statistical success rate for therapy, for counseling therapy, 30 to 50% mm-hmm. receive any benefit at all. Yeah. Actually not a 100% successful system or even an A like it's, mm-hmm. and I'm not bad mouthing psychotherapy on this. The reason I'm sharing yeah. it is what I, when I see that statistic, I don't see, oh, therapy is failing because 30 to 50% is still mm-hmm. not bad. Like something is happening here. But what I read that as is we need more options. Clearly what we have in place doesn't fit everybody, Yeah. but 30 to 50% of them. Yes. So we're onto something and that's good. Mm -hmm. 30 to 50 is a good chunk of the population. We've got something to work with here, but we need more options. And that's where I think spiritual healing comes in. I mean, the reason why for me, psychotherapy wasn't really helpful for my depression is my depression is existential in nature. Most of what triggers it are things I can't put into words my awareness of my eternity, like just issues that are not normal to talk about to people. And in therapy, Western therapy doesn't really acknowledge spirituality very much. We Mm kind of talked about it here and there, but it was just this like passing thing. Like it's good for your clients to have a spiritual practice and then moving on, you know? So it was, it's not really like recognized. And so that's why I think we see this emergence of intuitive healers and coaches. Mm -hmm. I think it's a response to a genuine need. And yeah. that's why it's happening. And that's, what's so great about it. Um, despite some of the corruption as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I I've been fortunate enough to find a therapist who's in private practice, um, who I can say those things to like yesterday, I yes. think I, I shared, so I had a session with her. I'm like, you know, I'm just so frustrated because my, I know I'm capable of doing everything. I can do everything. I can do anything but I'm a human right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she could say, yes, Angelica, you, your soul is limitless. <laughs> like, you know, yes. and so, so I'm so grateful. I can be like, you know what? This guy looked at me funny the other day and I realized he wasn't actually there. <laughs> and I'm not yeah. going to tell her, I'm like, I promise it's not a hallucination. She's like, no, I know you're just having your vision. So it's, it's so nice to have that. Um, well, that's another thing I was concerned about because I'm really clairvoyant. And Mm -hmm. I'm also concerned about therapists misrepresenting it as schizophrenia or hallucinations, you know, a psychotic episode or something, and then giving me a version of help that I'm not interested in. Nor that would be helpful. So I'm I'm curious, you know, um, having had your experiences with, with, you know, the corruption within therapy and also within coaching, how can somebody who needs help, whether it be business, whether it be mental health support, emotional support, um, just somebody to guide them into a transformation. They feel a pivot coming on any of those things. And they're starting to look for help outside of themselves. How do they know if who they're going to is trustworthy? If, if it's a safe landing space, if they can be vulnerable, and if that person is capable of guiding them in the way that they're seeking. 
That is such a good question. The one thing that I learned when I looked up the statistics of therapy's effectiveness is that the factor, influential factor in this relationship is the relationship between therapist and client, not modality, not theoretical orientation. In fact, they don't seem to be very correlated at all. Like there's not a whole lot of significance with, believe it or not, with the type of therapy. It's more about the relationship between the two people. And so where I'm going with this, when we go looking for this kind of help, I think, especially if you're not used to it, it's easy to get really mental about it. Like, I'm just going to look for someone and I'm going to start like, you know, doing a whole search and, and that could work too. But what I have found to be a little bit better is waiting, like, I guess just being open to meeting a person who sparks a connection with me, because if the relate, if you don't have a relationship with that coach of any kind, it doesn't, I mean, that could form in the practice. So it's not the end of the world, but it's nice to pay attention. I found that it has been beneficial to pay attention to how I feel in my body when I'm interacting Mm -hmm. with certain coaches, certain anybody really but really feeling into it. There should be a spark that you feel like a yes spark about this person. If there is no spark, it's not necessarily bad. I think the next step would be maybe you get on a connection call, a sales call with that person, and then you can ask them questions and you can get to know them better that way. And that's why I always offer a free call before anybody hires me in any of my programs, because I feel like that's important. How do we connect? What is our relationship? I mean, if that's the most determining factor of a transformation of results, mm-hmm. then let's see. We need to see how we connect. That's very important. So if if the intuitive feeling isn't happening or it's kind of like a, you know, you feel like there might be a spark there, but you also have some doubts, see if that coach or a therapist or, you know, practitioner offers some sort of free way, you know, consult that you, where you can ask them questions. And so some of the questions that would be key to know is how do they get into this work in the first place? What is their background? I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be like paper credentials, but there should be some sort of skill set or story behind their work, not just, you know, just I, I coach, (laughs) you know, like there should be some substance here. What got them into coaching? Um, What motivates their practice? What are their values? Mm -hmm. If their values are centered a lot around what they get, what they have, what they can do. That can sometimes be a red flag, not always, but if a lot of their content and, you know, if they're, if they're marketing content, the things they say emphasizes the importance of themselves over the other to an extreme, it's something to pay attention to because this is a helping profession. Ideally, when we become coaches, I mean, it is about us to an, to an extent, but it's mostly about the other person. It is a helping profession. And there's a reason why I spend so much time with self-care is to make sure that I'm on like top of my game so that I I can give my clients my all. And I I think that's something that needs to be remembered. Like even with coaching, it's, that's a lot of work. Like, it's not like a lot of work in like the, the bad sense, but it's just, it's a big task. It's not something that someone does because they woke up one day and they were like, I'm a coach now. So that's why I think asking for the background can be a really powerful question. You know, did they just decide a few weeks ago that they're going to try coaching, which isn't necessarily bad either, but why? And what skill set are they bringing to the table? That can help a lot. And then using your intuition as the ultimate decision factor. How do you feel when you relate to this person? And if you're feeling any warnings in your body, anything, like even if it's just a subtle feeling of this person might be 
doing this for the wrong reasons. Like if there's any kind of sense of lack of integrity, take a pause and, and give yourself the necessary time to really think it through. I think my number one advice is don't rush yourself into a coaching investment Mm -hmm. because those are usually the ones that I have ever regretted were the ones that I made fast. And they will tell you a lot of business coaches will tell you that fast decisions are how success is built. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Maybe that's only true. Quantum leap story. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's true because that's how they built their success. Yeah. But to be honest, the way to long-lasting success is one step at a time. Mm-hmm. So take your time with this next step and really weigh out the pros and cons. Let your intuition lead the way and ask good questions. The coach that you're looking at shouldn't have a problem with your questions. Yeah. If they're feeling offended by how many questions you're asking, or they close up, or they don't know how to answer any of them, like even at all you're already going to know what to do. You're going to feel it. You're just going to know. So yeah, don't be afraid to use those free calls and to really screen and think it through. How is this person going to help you? It's not enough that their marketing looks pretty um, or that their pictures look nice or that they have a lot of clients and that they have a lot of money. Those things are not bad things, but I guess what I would recommend is there needs to be more to their messaging and to what they're doing than just that. I think you can have that plus the integrity. Mm-hmm. I've seen it before. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. But when the focus is just, is just, oh, you know what? That's where I'm going with this. The big red flag to really look out for is, is their messaging suggesting that you are weak? Are they talking to you as if you don't already know how to do things yourself and you need them? Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, just looking out for those kinds of things. Does it seem like they're in this business for them? Or um, is there a healthy balance with their yeah. emphasis on the other person? Yeah. Are they creating a problem or are they speaking to a problem? Yeah. Ooh, that's a really good way to sum that yeah. up. Those are great questions. And as you were speaking them out, I'm like, I would love to answer those questions. Like those questions excite me. me and too. I think that's a, that's a valuable part of, part of that discussion. Oh my goodness, Quinn, we packed it in. Didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how long we've been talking. <laughs> it's okay. We packed it in. Where can people go to, to find you? If they want to be more in your energy, more in your space, where are your favorite places to hang out? My website is the best one. Um, quindowney.com that has everything way about me, my offerings, my blog that I'm working on. And, um, all it has links to my social media too. So that's my hub where literally everything to get in contact with me and to be connected with me is there. I also hang out on Instagram a lot. Um, and my handle is Quinn Downey with an underscore at the end of my name. Um, those would be the best places to, to connect and hang out would be either Instagram. Um, or if you want to check me out in like full detail to just get an idea of what my business is, my brand, my essence, the website would be where I would direct you in that case. Awesome. And, and, um, that's a good place for people to go. If they're thinking I've been looking for somebody to help support me and, and Quinn seems like a good fit. And I want to get on a call with her just to feel her out even more. Definitely the website. Beautiful. Okay. Awesome. All your offers. Quinn, thank you for having these big, big conversations with me. I'm so grateful. And I I know, I think all of your stories are going to resonate with huge number of people. I can't thank you enough for being you, being on this planet, choosing to be here and paving the way. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.